Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is one hundred one point nine High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivan. Great being with you here this Thursday afternoon. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about communication, how we can enhance our communication, how we can be more effective at it, and the way we communicate and interact with people in our lives. And so next week, our JLR course lesson will take place on Tuesday instead of Wednesday, because Wednesday evening, of course, is Purim. And therefore, we're going to talk about it on Tuesday. And you're most welcome to join us for the live interactive class where we're going to delve into the depths of communication. And in fact, this week, we're going to talk about uh, more one interesting element about communication. I'm going to talk about not just the words we use, but behind the words, the way the words are expressed. Because every communication, every time we are communicating someone, there's the literal meaning of the words, obviously the words that we're using, that we're articulating, but there's more than that. There's also the color of the words, and the color is generally more powerful than the actual words that we're saying themselves. So oftentimes we don't feel heard, but it's often because the coloring of the words that we're using might actually render our words unhearable. The words we're saying, people can't hear them when they're being said in a certain way. And this could apply to both, uh, to so many aspects of life, to parenting. You think about the way we, as parents, talk to our children. Conversely, the way children talk to their parents. And the way we communicate with anybody. But I think of parenting specifically because that's where I find this most likely to be expressed. Because, you know, at the workplace... If you really don't like the way your coworker, colleague, employee, or whoever it is, the way they talk to you, you really have the option of saying adios. But in our family relationships, that's not so simple, and that's not exactly the way it goes. You know, you could pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. So if we want to have more effective communication with anyone, but particularly family, then I think it's important we got to think about how we're going to color those words because when we communicate in an aggressive way, what happens is if you're imposing your perspective, your views, your way of seeing things, even if you're speaking politely, even if it's in a soft tone, it's imposing. And so we have to learn this idea of communication without aggression, without superlatives. Oftentimes, it's those superlatives. And we're going to talk more in detail about that. But what I want you to do for now is just to think for a moment about communication. And I want to start with actually a particular story in the Talmud, because this story, I think, will express the idea I want to convey. And just thinking of Mark Twain, of course, anything you got to always quote Mark Twain for any any profundity. And he said, a man's character may be learned from the adjectives which they use. So the question is, the adjectives with which we try to explain and all these adjectives that we add to our words, 
What do they do? So here's a little story from the Talmud. The Gemara tells a story about a man who had this really bad temper. And his wife, who wasn't too bright, you know, maybe they were the original Amelia Bedelia, whatever the case is, the Gemara says, a Babylonian immigrated to Israel and married a local woman. He said to her, cook a couple of lentils for me. She took him literally and cooked two lentils for him. So he became angry. (laughs) What's a couple of lentils? Well, the next day he says to her, cook a gariva. It's a very large measure, far more than one person could eat. And she cooked him an actual gariva. So he was hoping that his wife wouldn't repeat what happened the previous day. So he says, make me a bigger meal today. But she took him to literally. Anyways, he then says to her, go bring me two butsine. Those are melons and Babylonian dialect of Aramaic. So she went and brought him two lamps that in the Israeli dialect of Aramaic is the meaning of butzine. So he got angry, sister, go break them on the top of the bava, which is a gate in the Babylonian dialect of Aramaic. At the time, the great sage Bava Bambuta happened to be sitting and trying a case in the Beth Din. So she went and broke the lamps on his head because he said, go break them on top of Bava. Instead of going to the gate, she went to the rabbi whose name was Bava Bambuta. Now, the Talmud goes on to relate that Bava Bambuta, who was a great sage, a rabbi, a scholar, a teacher, he calmly asked this woman, why are you assaulting me? Why are you breaking the lamps on my head? And when she explained what happened, he blessed her and sent her on away. So I think there's a lot we could learn from this, because why is the Talmud telling us this really peculiar, strange story? And is it, why is the Talmud informing us this? It's not of the husband's offensive behavior or the wife's naivety, but of the greatness and I think the profound humility that Baba and Buddha exemplified, that he personified in the story. He was a student of the great Shammai and Hillel. He was one of the preeminent scholars of the first century, one of the great prominent people of his time. And if you could imagine perhaps the humiliation that he was enduring by this woman's behavior, violently breaking lamps on his head, but he didn't lose his cool. And instead, he asked her very calmly and collectively, why are you doing this? What's the reason for this strange behavior of yours? And when he understood the situation, he sized it up. He sent her off with a warm blessing. And I think this is a, a very powerful lesson, even in communication, because make sure you have all the information before we respond, before we react. A lot of people assume, and I won't say on the radio airwaves what assume means, but oftentimes we assume things and we behave very rashly with our assuming and assumptions. But when we analyze this story and you look at it a bit more closely, we see how people could unintentionally miscommunicate. And I think this little bit of a comedic kind of humorous Talmudic story 
really illustrates that because this is a real situation that oftentimes happens. It's a kind of situation that happens. Sometimes there's different backgrounds and maybe people don't understand each other well. Maybe someone's speaking in a South African version of English. And you know, to tell you the truth, there are many differences in South African English versus American English. And, you know, you tell somebody in America just now, it's sort of already happened. Whereas here in South Africa, South African English uh, you know, just now is one day in the next millennia. We don't know when it's going to happen. So you see, there's, there's many words. When you say in America, people won't say they're going to fetch somebody from the airport. You know, it's just the way the language is, and that's fine. But sometimes there are, sometimes this could be translated into huge differences. And when you think about those differences, how many words, I remember once being at the pie works and we asked for a pie of pizza and they said, no, we don't make pizza pies. We only make meat pies. And, you know, this was 16 years ago when I first came to the country and I wasn't sure what's going on here because in America, we order a pie of pizza. Never heard of a meat pie. You know, there's so many different um different expressions. I was in New York recently and someone said that they hired, I think we said we hired a car and, you know, to Americans, they, they rent a vehicle and they, they thought this was, you know, a little bit, uh, I don't know, strange. My kid wanted sweets. Americans say candy. Okay. These things aren't going to make the biggest difference, but they'll probably give the kids some sugar. No one thinks of sweets here. Sweets means dessert or anything that's related, anything that's, that you know, but it, there in America, it's referred to as candy. So, the, oh, I'm just, whatever pops in my mind, robot, you tell somebody to stop at the robot, they have no clue what you're talking about there. It's called a traffic light, right? Um, what else is there? Well, here we call it mincemeat in the States. It's ground beef or, but this loo, the loo, going to the loo. No one on earth knows what you're talking about when you say the loo in the States. You're both speaking English, but water versus water and ka and the dropping the R's. And with Purim coming up, my son told some of his American cousins, uh, that he was, he needed a swimming costume to go into the pool. And they, had, they said, no, on Purim, we wear a costume. Today, you know, you want to go into the pool, you put on a bathing suit. There's just so many differences. We were doing laundry. And in the States, it's called detergent. You know, we asked for uh, washing powder. You understand? what You get the point I'm making. Where you have all these different differences, a biscuit versus a cookie and a jersey versus a sweater and uh, the dill versus the check, okay? Bry versus a barbecue and the cold drinks. In America, it's called soda or pop. And pop here, we know is merely pop. And in Miami, pop is soda, is cold drink. Petrol station, gasoline. You know, we have all these differences if you ask for a serviette in the United States, they have no clue what you're talking about. You have to explain to them which country is made up of napkins, the Soviet Union, and then maybe somebody will get it. Tomato sauce versus ketchup and uh, chips, right? In the, in the States, it's French fries. So you got all these different words, and that's fine. The life, it, It's okay. We have our different words, 
but you can imagine that sometimes people don't understand and you have different backgrounds, language, cultural differences. You have, you know, they say men are from Mars, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? So this background difference leads to different conversation styles and explains what conversations between people and different genders and today, you know, it's not just two genders in today's day and age, is so characterized by miscommunication and misunderstanding. So with all that going on, there is the opportunity for misunderstanding. There's a, a book called You Just Don't Understand Women and Men in Conversation. And that book written by Dr. Deborah Tannen she writes that pretending that women and men are the same hurts women because the ways they are treated are based on the norms of men. And it also hurts men who with good intentions speak to women as they would to men and are nonplussed when their words don't work as they expected or even spark resentment and anger. So you get it, the ideas and the that that words there's different words and different ways the way people speak and we all know the communication barriers aren't just limited to people of diverse backgrounds it's not just one country and another country so maybe take a moment and even think about a conversation that you were having with someone that left you frustrated because despite your best efforts the person with whom you're speaking just didn't really listen. They failed to understand the message you were trying to convey. And how often that happens that people just don't understand each other. There's this miscommunication. Okay? And that's normal. That happens. And if that's the case, we have to understand that often we talk and even though we present what we think seems like a coherent and logical argument, but we feel that we're just not hurt. We feel that the other person doesn't get us. And when this happens, what is our basic human tendency is that we blame the one with whom we're talking, that they have such poor listening skills. But the problem oftentimes lies with our own communication. Maybe we don't know how to articulate. Maybe they don't understand that just now means in 10 years from now. Maybe they don't understand the words that we're actually speaking, the words we're saying. They don't get it because there are these different language barriers. It's just the way it is. So the problem is that it's often difficult to self-diagnose. And we don't recognize that we have a problem with communicating we just think the other person has a problem with understanding, with listening. So one way to gain awareness of our own flaws, of our own shortcomings, is by seeing them in others. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov taught that when we see a flaw, we see a, a problem with another person. It's actually a lesson. It's a message for us. So then we can understand that we might doing, maybe we're doing exactly the same thing or maybe maybe not to the same degree, maybe in a more subtle way. But the point is that when we see something wrong in another, the Baal Shem Tov taught that it's actually a mirror reflection of ourselves. So we got to think 
that when we see a flaw in someone else, actually, maybe that's ra- rather a mirror image reflection of something within ourselves. I want you to think. Think of a person with whom you find difficult to listen. You find it difficult to listen to that person. Their opinion, you just pff, reject it. It's irrelevant. And maybe you never feel comfortable opening up to that person. And I want you to think, I'm not going to ask you to change that. What I want you to just think about is, what is it about this person's style, about their communication, that triggers the closure of your heart and mind? Why is it that you can't communicate with that individual? And think of a person who, conversely, you could listen to them and you, their opinion you actually respect. You actually feel comfortable opening up to that person. And think about what is it about that person's style of communication that actually opens and warms your heart and mind to that individual. Think about it. And I think there are many ways how one person's style of communication can actually impact your desire to listen to them, to want to communicate with them. And perhaps other people just we don't feel comfortable with those individuals. And some of the things we talked about in recent and previous shows in the last few weeks in our lecture series on communication, something that come to my mind, some people, they don't truly reveal themselves in words. And we talked about how words can be revelation or it could be concealment. God created this world with speech, right? But there was also a sense of concealment. The Torah is God's wisdom. The Torah is a revelation of God's wisdom, but it also conceals a lot more of God's wisdom. The question is, when we communicate, is our communication more focused on the revelation or on the concealment? And you think about our own communication technique and skills. How do we communicate with people? Are we more open? Are we more closed? Just thoughts to ponder. And then we talked in, we talked about another idea, how some people talk but they don't really listen. So how do we how do we reciprocate? If remember we have two ears and one mouth. We're meant to listen more than we speak. But if all we do is talk, 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 if we're just a chatterbox, then we don't give the opportunity to another person to speak. Why would they give us the chance? And what happens is, you know, Kamayim Lapanim Apanim. It becomes a vicious cycle where that same thing is just perpetuated further because you don't listen to me. I'm not going to listen to you. And we know where that goes. And of course, some people talk at the wrong time and just, they might be saying the right thing, but at the wrong time. So what I hope to do in our remaining time today is to explore some of the issues that perhaps inhibit and the the way we communicate and some of the challenges. And that's what we're talking about in this course. So we're going to discuss the bearing and the tone and the word selection, the words that we use and the potential to be heard by others in our presence when we communicate and how to be communicating a little bit more effectively that others will want to listen. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. And welcome back. We're talking about communication. And so far, we've been talking about the idea that whenever we speak, we're conveying messages. And the words we speak and the color of those words, the color is often more powerful, the way we're talking. So one way 
that we color our words is with our tone. Tone can affect the basic meaning of the words we're saying, and I think it's important that we focus a lot on on that. And the truth is, on a deeper level, tone and a manner of speech themselves have, they convey a distinct message. And until now, we discussed how tone, the idea we're, we're discussing here is, how tone impacts and could change the meaning of our words or the words we say have different meanings in the way we communicate. But let's understand that even when the literal meaning of our words is crystal clear, so it's not just now, you're very clear now, now, right? But the mode of speech, the way we convey it, that colors words with so many deeper layers of communi- of information. And it create, that, that provides the context as well as the distinct message that we're trying to convey. So when you speak with the wrong color, it actually leads to confusion and even conflict. For example, if I were to bark at you and say, you're a great guy, right? Or you did a wonderful job. I think you'd be a little bit confused because just I'm barking at you a compliment. It's kalachayad. It's it's backward. Or if I would say something like, I'm so sorry you lost your job in like this jovial tone with a, a big grin on my face. I would imagine you'd be a little bit offended. Why are you happy that I lost my job? Right? So what's happening is there's a conflicting message. There's a a dissonance going on where you're barking the compliment. You're smiling the... (laughs) You're smiling a negative message. It's just lost. So obviously we understand that the nonverbal message is so important. It's more important sometimes than actually the literal words that we're conveying. And I'd say especially so in today's day and age where we use emojis and we are, even when we're face-to-face where people aren't communicating with each other properly because we're on our phones, we're on our gadgets, we're not paying attention to one another. So we have to understand that there is a very important message in the way we speak. And Maybe if we look at the law that relates to writing of of a scribe to Sifri Torah to Mezuzah to Tefillin, and it says in the book of Jewish law, the code of Jewish law, Shulchan Aruch. In fact, prior to that, Maimonides in Mishnah Torah, the laws of Tefillin, of Mezuzah and Torah scrolls, he says that a person has to be very careful, the scribe, when he's writing Torah scroll or Tefillin or Mezuzah, to ensure that no letter becomes attached to another. In fact, when the scribe inspects, when they check the scroll, they have to ensure that none of the letters are attached to each other. If any letter is not wholly surrounded by blank parchment on all four sides, then actually the scroll is rendered invalid. It is puzzle. It is not to be used. If a Torah scroll on Shabbos is seen with letters smudged, I was at a completion of a Torah scroll last week. And in fact, this is one of the reasons, no one should take offense, but why the scribe, the sofer, oftentimes doesn't want to allow people to just write. 
he allowed some of the guests to fill in letters and uh, unfortunately caused a little bit of a smudge there at the end and he had to get ask a child to see if they could tell if it's if it's one letter or two letters it gets difficult and complicated now that's the obvious reason behind every letter has to be unique and has to be differentiated you have to be able to see one letter from another and in fact it talks about this in Hasidus and explains that a Sefer Torah as a whole in general corresponds to the entirety of the Jewish nation. And since every soul corresponds to a single letter in the Torah scroll, we have to understand that the sanctity of the entire scroll, the entire Sefer Torah is dependent on the completeness, on the integrity and the unique identity of every single letter, just as the sanctity of our nation is contingent on the completeness, on the integrity and unique identity of every single neshama, of every single one of our Jewish souls. So that is a very important and powerful point, that every letter is unique and it shouldn't be misconstrued. No two people are the same. Everyone has their own unique, indispensable purpose while we're created, while we're here in this world. Hasidus reveals a deeper reason for this interesting, for this basic, simple halacha. So far, we talked about, well, every letter has to be unique, has to be differentiated from the other. And of course, every one of us rep- is representative of one of the letters of the Torah. But something we talked about in previous weeks was the essence of communication is the connection between the speaker and the listener. There has to be, it has to be mutual. It has to be a two-way communication. The words used, even the factual information that the words are conveying, they are conduits that facilitate this communication between two individuals. The words you use are serving that, that communication. So we know that the Torah, best-selling book of all times, is actually the bestseller each and every year. And while there's certainly great literary value to the Torah, when you read the Torah, to all the stories, to the instructions, to the laws, everything we have in the Torah, the word Torah itself means instructions, our instruction for life. Everything's contained in the book. And you think of its popularity and how much it sells. But the Torah is not just an ordinary book. We know it's God's communication to mankind. And so when we study the Torah, we're not just seeking to gain information. But the deepest objective is to connect with Almighty God. Our interest in the message is a result of our interest in the author of the Torah. So let's understand this law about writing a Torah scroll. Ink cannot form words without paper and empty space to hold it in its place. Just as the ideas and the thoughts that we share with another person, it is within the context of an identity, of a, of a relationship. So just as the letters need the scroll, need the paper, if everything were ink, if you spill the, if you would spill the ink everywhere on the paper, you wouldn't be able to decipher the message. And the same thing is with communication. The white of the Torah's parchment represents the infinite divine source of the Torah. And this sense of the Torah's godliness and holiness 
has to precede the words. The words come from our awareness of the source of the words. In simple terms, we have to read between the lines and appreciate the spirit of the law, its divine origin, before we can venture to understand and to interpret the letter of the law or the letters of the law. So we need the surrounding parchment that you see on every Torah scroll, the nonverbal context. Otherwise, what happens is it becomes, like the law says, invalid. It becomes puzzle because you can't tell one apart from the other. And the same thing applies to our communication. The words are very important, but the nonverbal cues are like the parchment. It's like the spaces between the letters. It's the emotions, the attitude, our interest, the priority, the emphasis. So these cues tell us about the message that we're speaking. And often it's so vital for deciding if we trust the person we're speaking with. Are his words sincere? Do they show that he that or she cares about me? Right? These sorts of questions are so vital to communication, to the way we communicate with other people. Is a person just trying to sell me something or is there an actual interest? And we weigh a person's message according to our appraisal of the person conveying that message. The way the message is conveyed. The words, obviously, is the message. But behind the words... There's a subconscious pipeline between our soul and another person's soul. And when we, the way we convey our words, the way we speak with the other person is what actually is the link. And so we don't consciously intend necessarily our, to communicate in, you know, our deepest thoughts and feelings, but they shine through our our self-expressions by the way we speak, by the words we use, by the color of the words we use. So as Stephen Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so in the course of conversation, we have to be focused on the main thing, which isn't just the words. The main thing of communication, as we've been talking over the last few weeks, is the relationship, is the connection between two human beings. Words are what facilitate that relationship. The relationship is contingent on the words coloring even more so than on the words content itself. So the way we color the words, the way we speak, are we speaking gently? Are we speaking, you know, the Torah says in Kohelet, in Ecclesiastes, the words of our sages, the words of the wise, should be spoken softly. And that's heard louder than the shout of a fool. So Maimonides actually describes the manner in which well, a person should speak. Judaism dictates not just the way we eat, but the way we speak as well. You may have heard a story about a student, the Baal Shem Tov once sent some of his students to a particular restaurant. 
and they go to the restaurant. Well, the Bashamtov sent them there, but they're a little bit concerned about the proprietor. They look at the guy, he doesn't look so religious. Could they trust his food? Could they, can't they? they or they're ordered, but they're discussing and debating a little loudly, and he overheard them. He eavesdropped, and he heard the way they were talking about it. So he came to them, he says, I see you guys are really scrupulous, careful about what you're going to eat. You obviously are concerned about the kashrut of my food. I wish you guys would be as concerned about what comes out of your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth, as you are about the food that goes into your mouth. And so Maimonides tells us that a decent human being, a Talmud Chacham, in fact, a scholar, a student of wisdom, aren't we all students of wisdom trying to constantly grow and learn more? Shouldn't shout, shouldn't shriek when we speak. We're not cattle, we're not wild beasts. We shouldn't even be speaking with a raised voice. Rather, as he says, we should speak gently, pleasantly with all people. Why is it so important to speak so, to be so soft and pleasant? I mean, I don't think this is rocket science, but this is something that Ecclesiastes says, to speak pleasantly. We gotta speak just in a pleasant way. But note his words, nishmaim, benachas nishmaim. The words of the wise speak, the words of the wise, benachas nishmaim, are heard, benachas, when they're spoken softly. Another wave, another twist. The words of the wise spoken softly are heard. And that's because when we speak, not not benachas. If a person is speaking in an unpleasant way, we're shouting, we're forceful, we're arrogant, mocking tone. What happens? We're then coloring the words in a way that delivers this meta message that says that my words are just unhearable. You think about when certain people speak in certain ways, we just block our ears. We don't want to hear it. And that's what often happens when our children hear us shouting at them. They just don't hear what we're saying anymore. So what message are you conveying by the words you speak? What message are you hearing from the words you hear from other people? So we got to think about when we speak pleasantly and not forcefully and without that dominance, then the words are actually more hearable. Because think about how a listener reacts when they hear us speak. If it's unpleasant, people resist. They don't want to hear it. Right? You don't want to be dominated or disrespected. I think that's one concern we have. And something we talked about is God's dialogue with Moshe. What does it say? Panim apanim. Face to face. And the Talmud actually discusses this and says God spoke to Moshe face to face. Says the Talmud, God said to Moshe, let's exhibit cheerful faces. Let's be pleasant as we study the law. Because when you have a pleasant tone, it creates a pleasant atmosphere. And so that 
atmosphere is what God was saying to Moshe. The way the Torah is to be taught. If you want someone to learn from you, then you got to speak to them in a pleasant way. And the second thought with which we'll conclude is that when somebody's listening, they might want to do what we tell them to do. They're not going to fight back, right? But that might be short term. Because if we are fighting, if we're pushing, if we're forcing someone into submission to us, then it's just temporary. They're just going to do it for the moment. But in time, it's probably going to fall apart, creates an unbalanced relationship. It's not going to last because we're imposing, we're forcing. And of course, as Ecclesiastes tells us, when we speak benachas, that is actually when you speak pleasantly, so much more powerful and clearer, far beyond that imposing, dominant way. So our mode of speech actually creates an environment of connection, of love, of respect, of trust, of willingness to work together, of a a positive atmosphere. Of course, that's what we want. So when we speak in that polite, pleasant way, that's the kind of quality of atmosphere that we create and that's the culture that we should cultivate in our homes in our institutions in our environment and if we could do that even though it's not so tangible we create a positive culture that actually has far far reaching effects we're going to talk more about this please God next week next Thursday's Purim so you won't be having a live radio show next week on Purim but if you want to learn more about how to effectively communicate with others you got to join us on Tuesday evening. Usually it's Wednesday, but this week it's going to be Tuesday evening, Santon Central Shul, 8 Stella Street, across the Chaltrain, for the art and soul of communication. I want to wish you a pleasant, meaningful, and beautiful Shabbos. Carpe diem.